Hi, Gabriel is insisting I tell you he is at Skyline Comedy Club in Appleton, Wisconsin, February 7th to 9. Temperatures are expected to be in the single digits, so bring a vest. On Tuesday, February 12th, Gabriel has a show in Kirkland, Washington. Go if you want, but he wouldn't recommend it. It was terrible last time he did it, but it is really hard to say no to $200 on a Tuesday. On February 14th, Gabriel is at Tacoma Comedy Club. On February 15th, Bainbridge Island, Washington. And on February 16th, Moses Lake, Washington. For more info and for all of his show dates, go to GabrielRutledge.com. Not right now, though. Because right now it is time for episode 6 of Happiness Isn't Funny with Gabriel Rutledge. Now here's your host, Gabriel Rutledge. Check, check, one, two. I think we are rolling. Is that how we're going to start? Okay, good enough. Uh, I'm recording this uh, from Happiness Isn't Funny Studios, which is uh, my kitchen table, I guess. In fact, you may hear the faint sounds of uh, the dishwasher in the background because, you know, a house husband's work is never done, especially when you don't start it. Uh, I'm looking out my window, though, and uh, snow. Snow. I don't know, three, four inches, which is a lot for here. That's, uh, I don't think it snowed more than a couple flakes the entire last winter. And I'm, uh, I'm actually shocked my children went to school today, and my wife, because she works there. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm happy, I'm pleased. They sent my kids to school, but I'm just surprised. Two hours late, but they still went. Otherwise, I'd uh, if they were home, I'd be having to record my podcast in the car, I guess. With the garage door shut and the engine running. I'm, I'm recording this uh, the day after the Super Bowl. And uh, everyone's takeaway from the Super Bowl seems to be that Maroon 5 sucks. <laughs> and I feel... I feel kind of bad about it. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Maroon Five fan, really. My my 11 year old daughter is. Uh, I I don't care one way or another about Maroon Five. In fact, I I tweeted yesterday uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, I never realized how many Maroon Five songs I didn't care for until that halftime show. But so I'm not. Like I don't love Maroon Five. And look, I know. Look, he took his shirt off and his. His tattoos look like when you go to a tattoo shop and they have the example wall of styles and different things you could get put on your body. It looks like he just went into one in California and was like, give me the wall all over my very, very tight body. Uh, but I do, I feel, it's such a setup. I'm not going to feel too bad for a guy who's clearly a millionaire and a band who's wildly successful. But I just don't, I mean... Who have we ever liked? Who came out of a Super Super Bowl halftime show uh, looking good? Prince? I mean, Prince was unbelievable. Playing Purple Rain when it started raining? I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Uh, Lady Gaga, maybe? Beyonce? It needs, it needs to be a spectacle. Just some, some band out there. Play. What do we expect to happen? I don't... You know. Good for them. I'm sure their streaming income went way up today. And uh, but I, it is a weird, it's a weird thing where uh, he just got shit on so much, and and politically he got shit on. Like he, people were saying he wasn't even supposed to play the Super Bowl show halftime show because of uh, Colin and Kaepernick stuff, uh, which is weird. Because I don't. I mean, there was other people in the halftime show. There was a couple of rappers whose names I don't know. Um, I don't... No one was telling them not to perform. No one told the players not to perform. No one told the referees not to show up. Everyone watched at home. What? Just Adam Levine supposed to not perform? Because he's kind of a douche? He... Everyone wanted to make some sort of political statement. That's not what Maroon 5 does. 
So he didn't make any statement, and then that was his statement. Like, oh, how dare you not... What do you want him to do? Cover Bob Marley's Redemption song? He would have got shit for that, too. By the way, I totally support Colin Kaepernick. Because uh, why, you know, it's... I don't think he did anything wrong. He kneeled down, made a protest about uh, police brutality against African Americans. And, uh, I mean, it kind of got hijacked by other people into, like, somehow he didn't love his country or he hated the troops. But, uh... By the way, no one gave Gladys Knight any shit for singing the national anthem, the actual song people used to kneel in. And I don't think anyone should have given Gladys Knight uh, any shit. Only shit I would give Gladys Knight is, where were the pips? I wanted the pips. Were they not available? Are they dead? She actually did a great job. I didn't exactly know Gladys Knight was still alive, but I'm glad she is. She did a great job. Uh, yeah, but it's just, it's it's weird to me. It's weird to me what we expect. Everyone has to take a political stand on something, and then if you don't, you get killed for that. Uh, it just seemed, uh, seemed a little unfair to a guy that uh, that I don't really think did. Look, he played the songs that have made him a millionaire. I don't love the songs, but what did you expect him to do? Become a different artist? Just for the Super Bowl? I feel like the Super Bowl halftime show tries to get everybody. They try to get everyone, and that's where they fail. Because when you try to get everyone, it's for no one. Be Yesterday's halftime show was uh, soccer mom rock mixed with hip-hop. Who's that for? And she will be loved. Yeah, yeah. That's for no one. That's who that's for. If uh, if Toby Keith or somebody like that, a country artist, had been asked to play the Super Bowl halftime show, they would probably be getting shit from conservative people for uh, doing something for the NFL that allowed people to kneel. Like, no one's happy. No one's happy on either side, uh, ever. And I don't exactly understand why there are sides on that issue. I don't... Like, that's a nuanced issue that I don't... I, do, I don't... Okay. Ah, uh, I think being a police officer is an incredibly challenging, difficult job. Super dangerous. Uh... And I really do appreciate that there are people that do that job for the good of our society. I also do not appreciate when there is video evidence showing cops doing shitty things. They should be held accountable. And police in general need to be fixing these problems. How is that not the opinion of every single American? I'm not saying everyone should agree with me on everything. But what I just said, it's an incredibly difficult job to be a cop. I really, I appreciate them. I think they should be paid a lot more money. Also, there appears to be uh, some bad apples, some bad seeds, and... Uh, even if you don't want to make it racial, which it is, but even if you don't want to make it racial, they're shooting too many people for not good reasons. And I get the other side of that is like you can't, you sort of have to assume, uh, I, you have to assume everyone is a bad person when you're a cop. That's how you stay alive. And I get that. It's a complicated issue. But I like cops as an idea. I don't love it when I, I got pulled over a couple weeks ago. Um, I did not bring up Colin Kaepernick, but I may as well have because I got a ticket anyway. But it's not, yes, I appreciate cops. I think they should get paid more. I think that it's an incredibly difficult job. Also, if you're a shitty one, you should never get to be a cop again. And possibly go to jail if you murdered someone for no goddamn reason. How is that controversial at all? And guess what else, uh, people who hate Colin Kaepernick? History will remember him kindly. 
They will. We know this from Muhammad Ali. Okay, by the time Muhammad Ali was a uh, a senior, he was this great civil rights champion. You know, he refused to go to Vietnam. Uh, not that I'm old enough to remember, but I know from reading, uh, people hated Muhammad Ali in the 60s. When he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali, when he did the Vietnam protest stuff, he went to jail for that, by the way. Uh, people hated Muhammad Ali. And then after, as time goes by, even old, crusty white people were like, yeah, Muhammad Ali, he really stood up for what he believed in. What a great American. Colin Kaepernick will be the same way. He'll be the same way. You know what I mean? Not maybe to the level of Muhammad Ali. I don't think he was as famous, but... And I know what I'm talking about, because I did a show in Louisville, Kentucky, and Muhammad Ali's nephew heckled me really bad, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it actually wasn't even... wasn't exactly heckling. It was... He was super drunk. Uh, so when he paid attention to me, he laughed to the point of distraction. Like, just, wah, you're the best! And then he would start talking, turn his back on me, start talking to his table really loudly. I would be like, you know, sir. And then he would turn around and be like, you're fucking great, bro, I love you! So I ended up talking to him. Uh, he told me he was Muhammad Ali's nephew. And then... The show was kind of over because no one else wanted to talk about anything else but the fact that he was Muhammad Ali's nephew. Uh, which I did, I think, I googled it. I think it was legit. Uh, anyway, we don't, people usually don't listen to my podcast. Uh, I could probably end the sentence there, but people usually don't listen to my podcast expecting hot political takes, but uh, I don't know. I guess the snow brought opinions for me. Uh, this episode has a sponsor. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Happiness Isn't Funny with Gabriel Rutledge, that's me. Uh, cost you five bucks. Send me an email, gabriel at gabrielrutledge.com or on any of the various social medias you can message on. Uh, for five bucks, I'll pretty much say whatever you want. This episode is sponsored by the podcast Diabetes for the Soul, uh, which is some of my Boise pals. I've been on their uh, podcast a couple times when I worked Boise. Chad, Dustin, Riley. Uh, in fact, I'm on the most recent episode, uh, at least as of this recording. Um, <clears throat> you can check that out. Uh, I said all kinds of crazy shit on that podcast. I don't even know what happened. Um and also, I've been on a lot of podcasts before, but this is the only one who ever made me a breakfast sandwich before we started, so that's worth something. Diabetes for the Soul on iTunes, everywhere else. You can listen to podcasts. Um, and then wherever you're listening to this on, uh, in the show notes of this episode, there'll be a link to Diabetes for the Soul. And also Dustin, uh, one, of, one of the uh, podcast members, uh, he made me this song based... It, it's all pulled from audio of things I said in the podcast, which is pretty amazing. I'm champion forever, not a contest. I'm champion forever, black principle. I'm champion forever, not a contest. I'm champion forever, black principle. I'm champion forever, not a lifetime. Forever, black principle. The forever champion of Atlanta. Lone wolf from the beginning. I've been blessed this fuck by not having friends. Assemble your stupid thoughts. Remember the shock. Create a lot of punk rock. No way to not. Fellow those souls to Satan. And the I some girls. Because I came from a music world. It was in bands and stuff. Hotel room. 100 bucks. I freestyle rap. I made this shit. Champion forever. Not a contest. I'm champion forever. Black Prince cool. I'm champion forever. I don't see why Dustin doesn't get to do the next halftime show at the Super Bowl. Imagine that. A champion forever with like, the whip.
happy love over the top of it. So thank you, Diabetes for the Soul. Uh, check them out. Uh, oh, we got one of these. Shit that Gabriel should have said last week. So last week I was talking about uh, Jay-Z Knight, who uh, runs the School of Enlightenment in Yelm, Washington, uh, where she channels the spirit warrior Ramtha. Um, one of the things I got wrong was I said, I think I had the years wrong. It's, uh, Ramtha is allegedly a 35,000-year-old spirit warrior. So my apologies, Ramtha. I should have read your Wikipedia first. Uh, but I also, in my mind, what Ramtha sounded like was like, hello, like a very scary demon possession. Uh, and I actually, I looked it up because I remembered uh, uh, <laughs> in youth group, we watched Ramtha on, I think it was Phil Donahue. I couldn't find that clip. I found one of her on the Merv Griffin show in 1985. It turns out uh, I was way off on the voice. Um, and so uh, <laughs> this, I'm going to play you this clip. Um and also, she goes through this big production uh, of, like, getting possessed or channeling the uh, Ramtha, Jay-Z Knight does, which is pretty, like, over-the-top community theater-level acting. Um, and then uh, this is actually uh, – I'll play a little bit of the interview so you can see what she sounded like. You are well this day in your time? Yes, thank you. Sit down here. This is that which is called television. Mm-hmm. The to, tube. To capture a moment forever. You were a little tough to wake up today. Were you sleeping when we got to you? Wake up? Were you sleeping? What is slumber, entity? I am never in slumber. Awake at all times? At all times. Where are you when you're not here? Would you like to see? No. <laughs> Would you not want to see? Well, it might not be the kind of place I want to hang out in. You know? I'm very happy here. My little studio, my little couch. It is a wondrous place here, isn't it? And you're my first 35,000-year-old guest. <laughs> to that which is called I-Entity B, an enigma, and what is 35,000 years well, old? Our anthropologists today tell us that 35 years ago, people didn't have brains like they have today. They had little, small... To the evolution of man, the brain has evolved. So it is great to know that somebody 35,000 years ago had such good command of the language. Master, even before my time, they did so. To yeah. so that which is termed, is it why indeed your uh, scientists, as they are termed, mm -hmm. they have not found the great civilizations yet. You they will. Your home was Atlantis? That was um, a place that that which I lived, but I was a pilgrim from a land called Mu. Yeah, I was, uh, was, I, I was way off in my mind. It was like a scary, like, I am Rantha. And it, that's, that's like a voice that an alien on the original Star Trek would have. Like, <laughs> if... Captain Kirk went down to some planet and there was some superior being that was like, I I do not understand your ways. What is... What is sleep? I, I do not require slumber. <laughs> it's ridiculous! Like, hey, Ramtha, how are you today? What is today? For I do not know time. Your time means nothing to me. Ramtha, would you like something to eat? What is how you say eat? I do not require sustenance, for my mind will fill me up. All right, Ramtha. I'm starting to think you're full of shit. What is shit? For my body does not make waste. It makes use of everything. 
Ramtha? What is Ra Oh, wait, that's me. Yes, I am Ramtha. Here's what's crazy to me. Uh, I know why this happened. I know why my memory was so far off on what Ramtha sounded like. Uh, well, first of all, it was a thousand years ago, when the last time I heard her voice. But at youth group on, uh, you know, I went to a lot of church growing up. There was uh, Sunday morning, there was Sunday night, and then there was like Wednesday youth group in the evening. Uh, and that was like more informal. That was, uh, I think this was just like at the youth pastor's house, which now that I think about it is really a recipe for trouble. And he did get fired and no one knew why. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. What is here nor there? I am everywhere. Shut up, Ramtha. Uh, so this was, I remember this. We were shown this. Somehow the discussion of Ramtha came up. Um... And like I said, Yelm is pretty close to Olympia, Washington. And we were shown, maybe it was that Merv Griffin uh, clip. I thought it was Donahue, but who knows? They're both white-haired older gentlemen. And it was presented to us that this was demon possession. Like, it was, it were like, no one is as good of an actor. No one could act good enough to pretend they were channeling a war and i i believe that and so in my mind her voice was this terrible demon thing and i remember thinking i remember agreeing with what they said oh no one could be acting something something evil is happening something is overtaking her body and now i watch it as a 45 year old agnostic and it's terrible acting it's terrible acting what is, uh, how you say, acting? For I am a troop. Shut up, Ramtha. You're acting. And why do you sound vaguely British still, if you're 35,000 years old? I'm kind of, uh, I'm embarrassed of the brainwashing my youth group gave me. Uh, but yeah, they, we used to do, we watched, uh, this wasn't at youth group. We had some sort of, uh, sleepover type event, and we watched movies. And we watched The Omen. I was in like junior high, watched The Omen, which I still don't really want to watch that ever again, because I'm not joking that it was presented like a documentary. Not like this is for sure how it's going to go down with the Mark of the Beast and the Antichrist, but it will be something similar to this, but worse. Anyway, 13-year-old, 14-year-old kids, gather around. We're all going to watch a rated R horror movie at a youth pastor's house. What could go wrong? <laughs> Even I know that is wrong, and I'm 35,000 years old. So yeah, I, we watched The Omen like, holy fuck, we're all going to be jumping off roofs and frozen under the ice. Uh, that, I mean, that's a pretty scary movie anyway, but that's, I mean, again, when you're like in seventh grade and they're like, yeah, this is all of our future. Uh, I didn't look at a crow the, the same ever again. We would watch uh, our youth group. We would get together, and there there was like these shows they would show us uh, about the evil of rock and roll music. And if you, whatever, played Motley Crue backwards, they would say like "Worship the Devil" or some. I, it was just so silly. It was so silly. And I, I also remember we had like this. Uh, I was a little older and less susceptible, but I was still, I was still in. Uh, to, uh, you know, the Nazarene church I went to. And uh, we we had like this all-city youth conference thing uh, one day, and uh, they were telling us about the evils of rock and roll, and they brought up Def Leppard. And it was kind of like that song, Pour Some Sugar On Me, and they're like, well, that's, you know, you guys know what that's really about, right? And they were like, they would play these songs to show us how evil they were. But I don't, most of the other churches in the area, and even other people at my church, were not as religious as I was. So it was basically karaoke. They'd be like, you kids, don't listen to Def Leppard. Listen to how evil this song is. And the whole crowd of hundreds of kids was like, pour 
some sugar on me. Uh, so that backfired mightily, and it was quite hilarious. Um, but yeah, wow. It's no wonder. Uh, I grew up kind of fucked up, and it took me a long time to come to terms with uh, <laughs> the idea of God and other people's idea of God. Uh, when, uh, you know, I'm watching The Omen and uh, Ramtha on talk shows, and people are telling me it's all demon-related. I mean, it's nutty. It's downright nutty. Hey, you know how I'm always saying that um, if you have any questions, you can contact me at uh, gabriel at gabrielrutledge.com or go to rutledgeradio.com and click on the envelope at the top of the page or go to gabriel backslash rut hyphen ledge dot gov underscore biz slash contact. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me, that last one. Uh, you know, I'm always saying that. Well, guess what? Guess what? Someone sent me a podcast question. Hey, honey, honey, someone sent me a podcast question. I told you people were listening. This shit's taking off. Honey, they sent me a quest. As if I wasn't annoying enough. Uh, to live with as a stand-up comedian. Uh, now I have a podcast, and uh, that's another thing my wife would care not to talk about. <laughs> There's a comedian, uh, Phil Kopsinski. He didn't even give me five bucks. I'm giving him a plug. He's got a podcast called One-Offs with Phil Kopp. Uh, and I, I think I can say this because he said it on his podcast. Uh, he, his wife said to him... When he was going to podcast, are you are you going to go play with your microphones? <laughs> oh my god, I'm still laughing about that because it is the perfect way to make you feel stupid about the thing you care about. Are you going to go play with your microphones? And I don't, I mean, she's, I, I'm speaking on her behalf. She's supportive of Phil. It's just a hilarious thing. Uh, to say, and there's nothing, I mean, people who are married or in relationships with those comedians, holy shit, God bless you, because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. Not only are you in our jokes, but it's just like, uh, I mean, I used to, I used to uh, listen to my dad come home from work and bore my mom with uh, details of his job at the hospital, which is, you know, all like, oh. Chiller number two went down today. We had to fix that thing. And then one of the nurses was, you know, and my wife, my, my, uh, my mom, my mom would just be like, uh, okay. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And then she would tell stuff about her day and my dad would be like, uh, huh, mm -hmm, great. That is a relationship. You know, you both bore each other with conversation and then you, uh, hopefully have sex later. There's a Hallmark card for you. <laughs> Let's bore each other and then have sex. Hello. This is a commercial word for Anchor Podcast, the easiest way to host your podcast. Um, if you don't have a podcast, congratulations. You probably have an enjoyable life full of friends, family, and fun. Uh, but if you do have a podcast... Um, I'm sorry, and you should use Anchor Podcasts. Uh, it's easy. It's free. Uh, they distribute everything for you. They give you sponsorship, which apparently is just talking about Anchor. I guess that's their sponsorship, but I don't want to brag, but I make, you know, maybe six bucks a month doing this. So, worth it? Of course it is. Uh, go to anchor.fm or the Anchor app. We now return to another riveting episode of the Rutledges. Uh, so I get that. This is the thing probably more than anything. Uh, when I was first a comedian, I would, I would just pester my wife constantly with, uh, advice. Like, do you think this is funny? Do you think that's funny? What do you think? What's funnier? Cornflakes or raisin bread? Like just nonstop. I stopped doing that because it's annoying. And also, uh, it's just one woman's opinion. 
you know what I mean? Like, just because my wife would be like, yeah, I don't think it's funny. It didn't mean it would be, and vice versa. My wife thinks a lot of really dumb things are funny, which is one of the reasons I love her, but that doesn't always translate to stage. I mean, if I was doing a comedy show just for my wife, I would just, it would be, hey, you know what's funny? Poop. <laughs> and she would be dying. She would be absolutely howling. Like, have you ever farted but not poop? <laughs> She'd be like, this guy's great! other poop joke sometimes you poop and it's a little ha sometimes you poop and it's a lot ha never stop you're the best uh, I gotta get out of here I gotta go poop good night everybody uh, that would be my wife's ideal comedy show um, so sometimes whether or not she thinks cornflakes or raisin bran is funnier, it doesn't matter, and it's annoying. But this is the, there is a topic I annoy my wife with a lot, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. Uh, and it is t-shirts, uh, specifically the t-shirts I sell <clears throat> after my comedy shows. If you have seen me in the last ugh, two and a half three years, I have probably had for sale a t-shirt that says "Get in the van." Uh. And I have sold $1.6 billion worth of those shirts. Not exactly. But I've sold more of those shirts than any other shirt I've ever sold. And it's, you know, uh, it's a very significant part of my income. Um, I, I rely on merch to, uh, you know, pay bills and shit. So it is, but I'm also at the point where I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to sell that shirt anymore. Because I don't want to do the joke every night anymore. And I am constantly trying to think of a new shirt that will be at least close to as successful as that one. And I keep coming up with ideas. And uh, so I'll, I'll say to my wife, like, what if I had a shirt that um, just had my face on it? And it said, sometimes a poop. She'd be like, ah, I mean, it's hilarious. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's going to sell as well. So I'm always pestering her with uh, these ideas of shirts. And uh, she's just like, I don't know. Do what you want. Um, which uh, what I want is to annoy her about it. And so uh, that's been working. But my question. Uh... From uh, Susan. Who is... I said it wrong. Who are uh, the most famous comedians you have worked with? There's a little more to it than that. Thank you for the email, Susan. Uh, but I... Uh, yeah, that's the gist of it. Who's the most famous comedians I've worked with? Um, which, you know what? I, I wish I had better answers uh, to this question. Um, I, if, well, I wish I, you know, I've been in the room with, with some really famous comedians, you know, HBO comedy festival, like Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld were actually not Jerry, but, uh, he was at least in our like free food area. I saw Chris Rock, which Chris Rock is so famous. He can't even be around other kind of famous people. Like he came in the room. The whole room stopped talking and looked at him, and he just goes, hey, and then leaves. He can't, he can't even be, Chris Rock can't even hang out with other kind of famous people. Um, uh, who I've worked with, uh, I would say uh, Kevin Pollack, which I know isn't like a huge name, but uh, that's somebody I've opened for. Um, Russell Peters hosted one of my shows at the HBO Comedy Festival, which... Um, although he's not a household name, certainly, he sells out giant arenas everywhere in the world. He's like wildly internationally successful. Um, also kind of a prick that night. Um, uh, if I, I feel like, I mean, Tom Arnold, I guess? It's funny, the the question of uh, uh, famous people you've worked with, because in a lot of ways, Tom Arnold is a very famous person, like people would recognize his picture right away, but also like didn't even sell out most of the shows I did with him. And then someone who was like much less famous, 
like, I don't know, Orny Adams or something that I worked with did sell out all the shows. So, so in some ways, it's like comedy fame is a little different than other fame. Um, I actually, I started, uh, a couple years ago, I started working at The Parlor, which is a comedy club in uh, uh, Bellevue, Washington. And uh, middling, which I don't normally, I'm usually not the middle act. Um, but I thought, you know what, it'll be kind of fun to be the middle act because uh, I'll get to work with like these famous people and uh, also not have any pressure. Just fuck around, try some new stuff. Do I'm just doing 20 minutes in the middle or whatever. But I ended up <laughs> hating it. First of all, just to be honest, ego. Like I, you know, I would rather headline for 75 people than middle for 150 people. I don't know why that is. It's just true. Um, but I also, I didn't like the aspect of hanging out with the famous people. Like, I, you know, I opened for Tom Arnold, and uh, I'm basically trapped in a 8 by 10 green room with him for an entire weekend. We're like four feet apart. Which, it's awkward. I don't know him. And if I, I want to leave him alone, so I end up being like much more, uh, 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 I don't know, maybe even rude. I just don't say anything. I don't want to bother him. But like if it was somebody I never met before, I would actually have a conversation. Where are you from? How's it going? But I'm not, it's Tom Arnold. Hey, what's up, Tom? True Lies was cool. Wow, your ex-wife is pretty nuts. Like, what do you, <laughs> so I just left him alone. Uh... And then also, I guess I can say that I'm only saying this about Tom Arnold because his whole act is uh, stories about famous people he knows that either he made up or he shouldn't be saying. Um, but uh, Thursday, do the show. Friday, go back for two more shows. And uh, the staff, the manager was like, Tom has, request <laughs> Tom has requested that no one drink in the green room. And that no one eat desserts in the green room. Which I wasn't I wasn't drinking in the green room because I, you know, it's like an hour and fifteen minute ride home for me. Uh so I hadn't been drinking. I mean I do when there's two shows, I do like to eat an entire cheesecake in between shows just to give me that extra pep in my step uh for the second show. No, I wasn't eating dessert either. I think the host was drinking beer. But, like, I guess Tom's got some addict uh, background. But still, I thought that was like, you you can't ask other people to not eat and drink certain things around you. But I guess you can when you're Tom Arnold. Uh, and also, I, I remember I was selling, what was I selling? I think just CDs. And Tom was selling shirts, but 100% of the money from his shirts went to some, like, amazing charity for, you know, kid camps or whatever. And, uh, you know, so I'm overselling my CDs where 100% of the proceeds go to me. And uh, every once in a while, someone would come through and buy my stuff, buy his stuff. I mean, way more people buy his stuff, but they would want a picture with Tom. And then somebody would be like, you were hilarious too. You get in on this picture. And then I would come over. So there's a picture of like, a family of four with Tom Arnold and me. And I'm going to be honest, Tom did not look pleased every time I joined the picture. But what was I supposed to say? Like, no, thank you. Uh, but yeah, so I I don't want to work the parlor anymore. I don't like middling. Uh, I don't particularly like people who live in Bellevue as a comedy audience. And I, uh, I don't like being trapped in the green room with famous people where I can't drink or eat cake. And I, I did a show with Carlos Mencia there once too, who was sort of infamous for uh stealing material he has that in his past and i'm i'm like oh i'm never gonna bring that up right i'm just gonna be professional do my job he brought up the rumors that he steals within my first four minutes of meeting the guy that's an awkward weekend too i don't i wish the stars had a separate green room so i could hang out i would have much better uh who's the most famous person you work with stories if uh I hadn't started going on the road that early because when uh, there was a club called Giggles, um, which became, uh, which <laughs> then got sold and became a strip club called Jiggles. And then now it's uh laughs comedy spot. Um, 
But back in the day, I'm talking early to mid-2000s, Giggles had a bunch of headliners who went on to be giant theater acts. So, you know, I could have been at Giggles opening for people, for nobody, but instead I was like in Wenatchee at a sports bar getting $100 and staying in a Motel 6, which is fine, but uh, the the people that Giggles would have back then, Jim Gaffigan, Bill Burr, uh, you know, Janine Garofalo, Margaret Cho, Maria Bamford, uh, you know, just an endless list of, uh, I actually did open for Maria Bamford um, later, um, but yeah, they used to have, uh, they had everyone who uh, went on to be someone, and uh, I actually, uh, he's not the most famous but I would say the person I open for a couple times that uh, tends to uh, be most impressive to younger comics is uh, Mitch Hedberg. Uh, I opened for the late, great Mitch Hedberg a couple of times. Um, one time uh, at the Go Club in Olympia, um, which actually it was owned by this guy, Boris, who actually helps me produce my Olympia show now. Uh, March 16th, Washington Center. Please get tickets. Um, but that time I just did like five minutes, a five-minute guest spot. And then uh, actually probably the year he died, I did a really bonkers show where I uh, I opened up for him. Uh, the <laughs> So there was this guy, actually the guy who owned Giggles and then sold it. And then bought it again and made it jiggles. This guy, Bob, he, uh, he's made a ton of money opening strip clubs. And then after he gets shut down, he sues the city because they didn't have a right to shut him down. But he opened a club um, in Seattle called the Urban Comedy Cafe, um, which is already a mistake because what Urban... I mean, he, you know, he was like, urban, it's downtown, it's urban. But what urban means in entertainment terms is not white. Like, an urban act is either, uh, you know, black or Latino, or, you know, that's just, I don't know why, but that's what people say. But he didn't book urban acts, he booked, I mean, he booked a lot of people who I didn't even know did comedy anymore, and then... The people he I, I did a show there with him. I opened for Emo Phillips, who's like kind of a legend in comedy. There was 16 people there, and 12 of them were a 13 year old girl's birthday party. Uh, and he was just you know, if he if he would have if if he would have opened up the Urban Comedy Cafe and started booking like Earthquake and uh, uh, D L Hughley or. Uh, you know, any of the big black acts, he would have done great. I'm sure, well, probably. I mean, uh, Seattle demographically isn't that urban. Um, but still, he didn't, you know, it was a very confusing marketing wise. Uh, but <laughs> so I, I had been at this club a couple of times. And, uh, again, no one was ever there. Uh, <clears throat> But I'll take you know my gig is a gig, and uh, but then he booked Mitch Hedberg, um, and Mitch Hedberg was big enough that it didn't matter what venue he was going to be at, he was going to sell it out. You know, I, I mean, it fit 150, 200 people max, and so he did. He sold it out. Uh, but here, here, here's the problem: Bob had no staff. He had no. He didn't need staff before then because no one came to the shows for months. And so since <laughs> since Bob owned a strip club, he just paid his dancers to be the wait staff and bartenders that week. So, you know, you're being you come to the Mitch Hedberg show, you're being seated uh by a woman who lived in Russia six months ago wearing clear plastic heels. Uh, and then the food, people, I mean, because people were paying 35, 45 bucks a ticket. And then you're like, oh, what do you have for food? Also, there's no tables. <laughs> there's no tables. It's literally, he took tables out 
And so it's just seats. So people would order food and he would bring you a paper plate with Costco appetizers. But like mini quiches and like little uh, breaded shrimps. It was all Costco appetizers. So it was a real low budget shit show. Like people would order a drink. It would take 50 minutes and then tell until a uh you know a dancer would come toddling over in her high heels and and be like I don't know what goes into Tom Collins uh but I poured you a vodka it's what I've been drinking uh so it was an absolute shit show and the night I was doing the Saturday he was there Friday also and on the Friday show he didn't I think he walked out because he was so mad that uh, about how it was being run. And also, I think he was mad because the ticket prices were way higher than he wanted. Um, which, you know, that's not the most logical thing to do. Is like, these people paid way too much to see me. And now they don't get to see me at all. I'm leaving. So there was some debate about whether or not he would even do the Saturday show. But he did. Uh, absolutely was great. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, eight months later, seven months later, unfortunately he died, but, uh, it was, it was really crazy because Mitch Hedberg was not all, he was not a household name ever, but he also had a real rock star thing about him. I mean, people loved him. There was people at that show who showed up with custom made t-shirts with like their favorite Mitch Hedberg punchlines on them. Uh, which is just crazy. It's just, you don't, I don't know. There's not a lot of rock star comedy, um, but Mitch Hedberg was definitely pulling that off. And also, this is more uh, inside baseball comedy talk, but, like, if I'm doing an hour-long show and it's good, the answer to how many of my jokes worked is all of them. You know what I mean? Even if I'm doing something new, it's going to be mediocre to great. Uh, Mitch Hedberg had jokes that didn't work all the time. Like, one out of five jokes would get nothing, because the, if you never heard him, it was like weird sort of abstract one-liners, which were totally uh, genius, but also, like, uh, they didn't always work. And he would have all these, like, recovery lines. Like, he would say some weird joke. No one would laugh. And he would be like, all right, all right. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewrite that joke with a new beginning, middle, and end. You know, he would have all these, like... But they just loved him so much that it was like... Like, if I did a show and 80% of my jokes worked, that's a terrible show for me. But he, he had probably 80% of his jokes hit, and it was fucking great. They loved him. Uh, which is all, that's like a really hard, uh, that's a hard thing to pull off. And the audience is so with you that they're like, no, no, your weirdness is why we're here. We're, we're, we're willing to go through a couple of, uh, jokes that don't make sense because, uh, we know there's going to be a payoff. Um, I think that dude would be huge if he hadn't have died, but what are you going to do? To, uh, to do one-liner comedy and still have people know what your personality is, is, uh, I don't know if anyone else has ever pulled that off. Uh, Stephen Wright, kind of, but, um, uh, yeah, Mitch Hedberg's jokes are, uh, I mean, just so short, so sweet, so perfect, and, uh, uh, I think they'll be funny forever, which is kind of nice. They say the recipe for Sprite is lemon and lime, but I tried to make it at home. There's more to it than they act. <laughs> Want some more homemade Sprite? Not till you figure out what the fuck else is in it. Is Louis Anderson uh, a big enough name to be considered famous person I worry with? I mean, he's famous. Yeah, I, I opened for uh, Louis once at a weird <clears throat> uh, private show for firefighters. Super nice. Very sweet man. Um... Roy Wood Jr. Um, on the Daily Show. He's super. He's got a Comedy Central special. You should watch. He's hilarious. Um, 
Anyway, contact me if you have any questions. <laughs> Who knows where it will lead? Uh, Gabriel at GabrielRutledge.com uh, if you would like. Uh, and then uh, I also I have an iTunes review. If you leave me an iTunes review, I will read it if it's positive. Five stars or fuck off. You know the rules. Um, and uh, if you leave me a review not on iTunes, I appreciate it, but I probably won't ever see it. Um, okay, iTunes review. Great podcast. Five stars by PC Comedy 54. Whether I'm cleaning the house, traveling, or launching a stink missile. <laughs> launching a stink missile. Oh, what are you, my wife's favorite comedian? Uh, Gabriel keeps me entertained. Great stories from the stand-up comedy road. Hilarious observations on life are plentiful in this second incarnation of his podcast. A must-listen for anyone. You're so right, PC Comedy 54. Um... And then one thing, one, one, one more white people thing I wanted to do before uh, I close out this uh, podcast is uh, I just did my 23andMe DNA genetics test. Turns out I am uh, 65% uh, 35,000-year-old Atlantis spirit warrior on my mom's side. What is... Mom, for I do not have parents. I am born of the universe. All right, Ramtham. Uh, no, uh, it turns I say white people news. First of all, how old do I feel that I actually care about this? I used to, my grandma used to be so into the fact that we were somewhat French, and she'd be like, oh, you should have these pen pals. And I'm like, I do not give a shit about any of my ethnicity. And uh, fast forward to me being 45, like, ooh, I wonder where I'm from. Uh, I'm only, I'm, uh, I'm going to start caring about birds. That's next. I'm going to care about birds. I'm going to get a vest, a walking stick, an Indiana Jones hat, just leaning into 50. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I say white people because, uh, I got the, uh, first of all, right at the top of the page, 96.6% European. Uh, nothing too surprising in here other than, uh, 54.9% British and Irish, which makes sense. They're right next to each other. But, like, I knew British because, you know, Rutledge is a British name. There's a Rutledge who signed the Declaration of Independence. It's British, right? But I've never... Uh, I've never heard anyone in my family talk about being Irish. And uh, I guess i got to start paying attention to St. Patrick's Day. It's kind of my people. Um, This is the other funny thing is by... I was told growing up I was uh, one sixteenth Native American, uh, specifically I think Simpsonian tribe in the Alaska area. That is what uh, I was told. In fact, my grandpa really wanted me to go to uh, an well, I was going to say Native American college, but honestly, at the time they called it Indian college. Um, and even then, I was like, I'm not, even if I'm 116th, that's nothing. And also, I know nothing of the culture. He really wanted me to, like, go to, it was just silly. I knew it was silly then, but I am not, I am not 116th uh, Native American. Uh, I am 2.6% Native American, which is not even a 32nd. It's nothing. It's nothing. But it's such a white person thing to do. To be so proud of your tiny, tiny amount of Native American blood, and then all—I mean, I'm—I'm uh, I'm 20% French and German. Don't care. Uh, you know, 2.1% Scandinavian. No one ever said, "Hey, we're Scandinavian. Let's eat." What do they eat? Lutefisk? I don't know. Um, it's just so funny, and I—I'm I, not above it. I'm not above it. Like I, it's. I'm 96% European. I'm looking through all the things. French, German, Scandinavian, Ireland, UK. And then I'm like, Spanish and Portuguese, 1.9%. I'm like, ooh, interesting. Why? What? In the history of the world, it's been nothing but good times to be white. Nothing. From the British Empire to now. it's There's been nothing but the best thing in the world to possibly be if you want uh, 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 all the advantages in life, 
is to be white. So why, when I see 1.9% not white part of Europe, why do I go, cool? Why? Does it appease my guilt? I don't know. I don't think I have guilt. I have awareness, but I don't have guilt. But it's just so hilarious. It's so hilarious. 20% French and German. Eh, who gives a shit? 1.9% Spanish. <laughs> you know what? Cool. Portuguese? I gotta learn Portuguese. That's my people. I'm I'm mostly Native American and Portuguese. That's what you can get out of this. Uh, hilarious. Hilarious to me that uh, I am a about as white mutt as you can get. In fact, I mean, I mean, we should all be from Africa at some point, right? That's the birth of man and woman. Uh, 0.1% sub-Saharan African, which is, uh, holy shit, am I white. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was laughing at myself for being intrigued. I was 1.9% Spanish and <laughs> Portuguese. What a fucking asshole. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, I appreciate it. I think I'll take us out, uh, today with the, uh, the full version of the song. Uh, Dustin from the, uh, Diabetes for the Soul podcast, maybe. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put a link to his, uh, SoundCloud too, uh, in the podcast notes. Um, all right. Talk to you guys next week. Podcast is over. <laughs>
champion forever. I'm champion forever. I'm champion forever. I'm champion forever. Champion forever. I'm 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 champion forever. Show's over. We're done. Bye.